Okay, here we are. Episode two, I guess um, I'm still doing this. Yeah, I guess I'm, this is still happening. Um, well, hello, if you're listening. Um, yeah, did the first day. Here we are, second day. Uh, we're going to do it. Same premise. I'm going to put a timer on my phone, and I'm just going to talk. Um, yeah. For those of you who maybe did listen to the first one, uh, sick, thanks. Um, it's mostly for me, kind of. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to keep going. For clarity's sake, number one, because my wife listened to the episode, me admitting, you know, to whatever degree I may or may not be having a midlife crisis has nothing to do with our marriage. Um, we'll be clear. That being said, if I was having problems there... I'd, I'd probably talk about it. That's what we're doing. Um, no use in hiding anything at this point. And there, we have gone through seasons where it's been it's been tough, like where it's not been good. Um, but this is definitively not one of them. Um, I love her more than ever. And we actually had a um, two hours in the car the other day. If you know anything about DFW area, uh, two hours in the car. Uh, yeah, you can do that pretty easy on a random day. Um, if you're going somewhere, uh, you know, north or wherever in sort of the quote-unquote Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, yeah, you can do 90 minutes one way. And so that was one of those trips that we did. And um, I think, yeah, we both sort of very much admitted how much more in love we are uh, with each with each other than, than ever before. And I also think um, a part of that is because we are different people, um, now than when we got married. So for context, we've been married for, married for 17 years. Yes. 17. It's crazy. Um, just celebrated 17 and, uh, any sort of halfway decent marriage book, including, and especially the Tim Keller book on marriage will tell you, you are married to multiple different people over the course of a long marriage. Um, I think his stat in like a 30, 35 year marriage, you're, you're married to probably at least three different people. And I would say that's true. Um, as we get closer to 20 years, I can see for sure, um, that she's got a completely different human. And so am I, which makes, uh, the marriage, um, fresh, like it's not stale. I think I think the kids get into marriage or, or or actually don't get into marriage, which is sort of this new generation's thing, um, because they're afraid it's gonna get boring. That's the same person, and sure, I guess if you look at it that way, sure. But um, that does not at all take into account the amount um, that people change and the fact that you are not with the same person that you married at all, which can keep it fresh. And I'm saying that right now from a position, it's fresh now. There have been seasons where that was crazy or that was really terrible. Um, where the person I was and the person she was were like, we had we had evolved into opposite directions. We Over the years, recent years, we've evolved in directions heading towards each other, towards the same thing, which is really, really great. And that's where we are now. But definitely certain years we had evolved in ways opposite. Like we were way further apart than when we started. Um, but there's that. So... Uh, midlife crisis not to do with the marriage. That's a train. 
that's a legit train. Like I absolutely, if you have not been to my house, there it is. That's a train. Um, I th every time I hear the, tr it, it's a sign. One more, thank you, buddy. Um, yeah, it's capitalism, folks. You know what I mean? It, that's that's the that's the sound of commerce. St stuff is moving. A a box came from China. Landed wherever, probably the west coast, and is heading east. And this part of Texas is a train thing, track stop um, hub. Yeah. I try to think about that at 3 a.m. when they go by and they blow the horn because they have to legally. But on the bright side, that that's that's America being America. Hey, you know, right? We're moving stuff around. We're moving stuff around the country. Great. Um, so yeah, marriage is sick. Do it. Uh, 10 out of 10 would do again. That's actually, that's actually not true. That is an untrue statement. If my wife died, I, there is n not a chance that I'm getting married again. Now, how counterintuitive does that sound? After I just sort of painted this beautiful picture of where the state of our marriage, I would absolutely not do it again. Now, not, not that I don't want to do it again. Uh, it's like starting over with somebody. Are you kidding? That's crazy. Like, so we got married at 19. I met her when I was 12. Um, and we dated for the first time at 13, dated for the second time at 15, dated for the last time at 18, roughly. Um, and then, yeah, got married. Um, uh, yeah, that much history. Like, there's literally, there's pretty much nothing about her that I don't know. And there's so little that she, like, could have hidden from me and me from her um, to, like, kind of know, oh, where'd you come from or what shaped you? Or I was like, no, no, I was around when you were being, like, when you were figuring life out. Um, I was around for all of that. I was actually figuring out my own life at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big part of why our thing kind of works on a very, very deep level. Like we have such history, like we can recall the same memories from the same sort of weird time or place we were at the church we were at, the church we grew up at or whatever was happening in culture. Like we can both share those same memories, like deep, deep memories from a long time ago. Um, and you just can't, I don't know, but doing that, like start meeting somebody at like age, whatever, and sort of having to explain and distill to them your upbringing and all of your background and then and trying to connect, that sounds insane to me. Anyway, um, yeah, so marriage is cool. I think probably in, um, in a few episodes as we do this, uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna do a marriage episode, me and babe. She's hot, which is cool. It was very, like, a very pastoral, like, that was very youth pastory of me to say, like, call my wife hot. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sitting back here in the studio, same spot, corner of the green couch, and um, the train is still going by. It's insane. Um, there's some of these train guys, some of these operators, they're chill, like, they're cool. 
Um, meaning they know they're in a neighborhood. They know like, hey, these train tracks have been here for probably 100 years. This neighborhood hasn't. You know, it's whatever. The city ended up opening up land and put it here. And you, you know, you just want to live your peaceful life in Texas with your freedom and your land and your proximity to cattle. And you have a baby. And I'm just going to do a couple little quick, you know, bah, bah, a couple little ditties just to get us through. Because there is like a stop. There's a little a crossing. And legally, they have to blow the horn when they come close to a crossing. Because obviously, at some point, somebody died or didn't hear it. So there, now there's a law around that. In general, I think that's fine. But we are in a freaking neighborhood, like a na- full-on neighborhood with kids around here and, like, babies. Like, both of our neighbors have, like, infants. Um, but they have to blow the horn. They are going all hours of the night. Some of these guys are kind of like, you know, I'm honestly close enough to the tracks where if I'm standing on my back patio, there's, like, a little bit of a hill. I can see the train conductor. Like, I can see the guy when they go by, which is crazy. Um, but they're like, you know, they'll just pull a couple little toots, you know. And But then there's some of these guys there's some of these guys that absolutely hate life, hate you, hate your house, hate, I, I don't know, but they have like a whole, uh, it's a vendetta. They're going to grab that horn, that um, BCF 2000 version 3.2 from Russia horn that was made in a nuclear plant, and they are going to pull that thing and just hang on to it. They're going to hang on to that horn. I don't I don't know why. <clears throat> so I'm sitting in the in the studio couch. Um and I can hear my uh son playing drums upstairs. Uh which is uh it's nostalgic it's not nostalgic i don't know it's heartwarming um i would say uh jay if you're listening to this yes i do enjoy hearing you play drums um it's sweet yes it is like if i think about it too much it you could all get emotional you know because he yeah when i was his age i was also hyper obsessed with drums um it's funny if you have if you're listening to this, you, you probably at some point came across the art, art my album <laughs> podcast artwork. Um, I was f- 15 there, and I just there's there's probably not another picture that sums up just all the things. There's just so there's so much crammed into that photo. It's really hard to explain. You know, kind of back to the point of me and Babe how much history we have together. She knew me years before that photo was taken. Um, uh, I'm, I'm like, it's like immigrant kid at a mega church in the suburbs. Uh, there's a choir loft with a choir. Those are electronic drums. I'm in a suit. I'm fat. Uh, there's blue avions on the stage. You got, you got to, you got to know what that is. Uh, there's a music stand, you know, there's just a lot, there's a lot of subtext packed into one photo of, uh, yeah, like, why me? Why am I the young, why is there a 15 year old immigrant kid playing V drums in front of a choir? Like what thing, who are we trying to convince of what right now? You know, 
Um, but did it for, did that for years. And I'm like really, really grateful for that time, but come on, man. I mean, dude, look at this photo. You know what I mean? That's crazy. That's crazy that that happened. But yeah, I'm probably 15 ish there. Um, it was like years of me doing that in that place. Um, and my son is 16 now and is, is playing drums and it is, yeah, full circle doing the jazz thing. I was doing the jazz thing. Um, trying to figure it out, trying to go, go sit on a drum set and like slay the dragon. That's kind of what you got to go do. You got to go defeat yourself. You got to sit on there and, and fight, fight your hands and fight your musk muscle independence to be able to do a thing that you can't quite do, like create new brain pathways. You know, that's what it is. Every time you sit down on the instrument, especially at that age, you just, you're going into battle. Um, why don't I sound awesome? And what do I need to do with my muscles to sound more awesome? Uh, and why can't I get that? I remember being that age, like punching my floor, Tom, um, and like kicking it over in the garage because I couldn't get this one fill. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's sweet. Jane, man, Jane's really good at drums. He's come a long way really fast. I think the craziest thing for me with him playing drums is that I had nothing to do with it. And when I say nothing to do with it, I mean literally nothing to do with it. I had no idea. It was like two years ago. We went to like a jazz recital thing. He had kind of mentioned he's playing jazz, drums in the combo. And all of a sudden we show up and he is like playing a full-on like big band chart with a horn section taking a solo, like an eight bar solo in time, comes back in, has a whole thing, you know, stick technique. The drums are all jazzy tuned. I'm like, where, who, when did you start doing this? And I know you kind of told me, but you didn't tell me. And also I've never given you a lesson. Also, you don't have drums at home to practice on. I've never heard you play any of this stuff. Are you just, you're just doing all this at school, I guess. And like, turns out he has an instructor and they're doing the whole thing. So I don't know, shout out to the school districts around here for taking that stuff like that seriously. But for real, I had nothing to do with that thing. That's crazy. But it is really sweet hearing him practice. I do kind of get nostalgic, like, uh, listening to him like try to slay that beast. You know, I know what it's like. He goes, I hear him going for the same fill over and over. And it's like, yeah, that feeling sucks, but it is what it is. Um, so my wife asked me when I told her I was starting the podcast, first words were, are you going to (laughs) cuss? I'm trying not to, I'm not going to do it. Um, so there's a long list of things that I I feel like I maybe want to touch on. I, I don't know. Did it started it yesterday, whatever. Um, might, um, did I, yeah, I, what did I, did I, yeah, I think I said something about being a LaCroix immigrant. Um, let me explain that. I'm going to, I'm going to, there's a couple things I could hit on. Um, so like there was, there's this one, it's a joke. I think I saw it. It was like a, a, you know, screenshot of a tweet that I saw which was a screenshot off TikTok that eventually made it to Instagram reels. Like, <laughs> tell me you're a millennial without telling me you're a millennial when you're watching <laughs> dated TikTok reels on IG or TikTok, TikToks, whatever, on Instagram. I can't even say it. That's how millennial I am. Um, yeah, 100% me. I'm it, Like, the thing is a, is a screenshot on a, of a tweet. Anyway... Um, it was, it was talking about LaCroix. It's like, um, 
uh, drinking a LaCroix is like drinking as like you're just drinking seltzer water. And then somebody in the next cubicle, cubicle yells out lime. And that's it. That's, that's what it tastes like. Like, you know, you kind of get a quick essence of, of, uh, whatever the fruit, the person next, somebody yells out coconut. Um, so I, Kristen and I both, and it's bec- it has been relatively convenient for me to sort of navigate um, America, I, being a LaCroix immigrant, meaning uh, there's an essence of Indian with me. <laughs> uh, the packaging says Indian. <laughs> I don't know. I'm cracking myself up right now. The thing is, you, if you know me, you 100% know what the heck I'm talking about. Like, dude, I'm not Indian. Okay. I Like, yeah, I got the nose and the brown skin and I'm pretty good in Google Sheets. Um, and I chose racket sports, you know, like there's a few things, but like, nah, not, not really. Like, I, there's a certain point too. Like, we're at our Indian restaurants, and uh, we get to a certain point in the menu, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. You know, I'm just, hey, if you're white and you're listening to it, I listen. I'm with you. All right, we get past the Vindaloo's. Low key, I'm kind of lost too. Okay, and I'm not. I don't. I don't let that read. You know, we got to keep your game face on is why the wildest one is like, dude, you get to somebody at every Indian restaurant with the exception of like one or two. And like the, the waiters, Indian, <laughs> obviously waiters are Indian, the owners, Indian, whatever. And, um, do I say this with an Indian accent? <laughs> do, do I have to say the dish name? Do I have to do it in like the thing? Do I have to sound like a boo right now? So I'm with my freaking Filipino wife and my mixed kids. And I'm wearing, I don't know, like either Jordans or like off-white sneakers. And I'm, I did, I'm not doing the thing. Like I'm not doing the Indian thing. I'm not like doing uh, like the J. Crew Indian immigrant, you know, the kids, all the people my age who are immigrants who aren't musicians, which is like none of them. You know, they're normal, regular people. I'm not wearing that stuff. I'm like still, I'm wearing my yellow beanie and I'm like doing the musician guy thing or like whatever, I'm relevant. I'm not going to say the dish in an Indian accent, dude. And, but I kind of have to a little bit. So then you kind of rush through the pronunciation of the dish so that you can kind of sell it a little bit with the guy. You know, because I don't want him, I don't want to be judged, I don't want to be judged by anybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want the white people like, oh, like, oh, look, I knew he was actually Indian. Did you hear how he ordered that dish? And then I don't want the waiter to be like, you're a poser, bro, you know, which everybody's, everybody's right in that situation. I'm a LaCroix Indian. Anyway, that, that's the analogy. Kristen, I think would be the same. She's definitely way, she's way more Filipino than I'm Indian. Um, yes, there's that definition. Do with that information what you will. Um, I don't know how we got into that. Um, okay. So here, this was fun today. Legitimately fun. Like, 
I um so I spent a year in Miami. I think it was 367 days. Um yeah, it was like literally right right at a year. It was short. Um 2019 um moved, picked up Move the family over to um, to Miami to be a part of this church called Christ Fellowship in Miami. Shout out. Those guys are awesome. Church is great. Um, like a really came in a really wild season, like super wild, trying trying to figure out. Um, I mean, a bunch of things. There's always, you always got to figure out money and budgets, but there was some, some like restructuring. And, and the biggest thing was really they were um, moving a new lead pastor in, which if you're in the church world, that's like, that's sort of everything. That's kind of all things kind of come from that. Like who's at the top seat. Um, and so trying to figure out how to transition that and all those processes, there was like votes and stuff, but also just like, how do you roll it out with the, with the church and doing all, how do you roll it out with the staff? Um, came in like right into that. And then was, was making a bunch of staffing sort of just re-infrastructures on the org chart. And then COVID hit and we were doing all, it was crazy, crazy. Um, but man, I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's still, I left just about three years ago. It's been about three years since I left. Um, I made such good friends there in that 367 days uh, I don't, it's crazy. I don't know how we became like good friends, but legitimately every time I link up with any of those guys, we're, we're texting, we're whatever uh, they were, I was on a zoom with three of them today. We're talking about some, I don't know, some business stuff, some music stuff. Um, but un- unbelievable. There's a couple guys coming out in a month to hang at the house for a couple weeks and like make music and live here and we'll chill. And, um, there's people that have come out from Miami, multiple sets of couples and people like individuals that have come and stayed with us here. And, um, it's all great, but I just, I don't know how we made such great friends in such a short period of time. I think there is, there's like this law of like, um, um, I don't, I don't know what the trauma magnetism, I, I don't know if you call it that, that we, it wasn't traumatic, but we went through really hard things together. Meaning like, it's like when you work out with somebody, there's like a bond, I guess that's a scientific thing that I think that's kind of what happened was because we went in and it was really wild with the, with the structure changes and Pete, some people not being on board. It was really stressful for all of us who were kind of in that. And then right, literally right after that, COVID hit and that nobody knew how long this was going to last, what it was going to be. We were doing a capital campaign all the way through that. The, the day of committing the two year capital campaign, like we were, when we were going to find out how much we were able to, um, we were committing to totally, which was a big number they were going for. And I think we were going to hit it. Uh, that Sunday was COVID Sunday. It was all the churches shut down and it was like, Oh, okay. We're just going to go online. We'll hit pause. It'll probably be like two weeks and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll figure this that. And yeah, six months later or whatever, eight months later, still shut down. But, um, point being, we went through some crazy times there in a very short period of time. And, um, I, yeah, all those guys, it's like lifelong relationships. I think honestly, I mean, I'm not going to name everybody, but you know who you are. You're awesome. I love you. I'll see some of you soon. But yeah, I thought it was cool. I was on a, on a Zoom with them today. We talked for about an hour. Um, church music things. 
how, how do you go about releasing church music? Not that they don't know how to do it. They actually have a couple records out. It's just a different game uh, these days, um, just with being able to self-publish and how do you figure out song splits and the back end on the business side and how much is it worth spending so much time on, you know, how, where do you draw the line on just building the plane as you fly it? It, it was that conversation, you know. I was, I've been fortunate enough here in, in, in Texas at the Avenue. We've released a couple songs. We've released two um, so far and two more coming out. Uh, I just literally got out of going through piano files on song number three that comes out um, at this point in August, maybe sooner. That, that, that tune is going to go insane. Um, piano, string, vocal, and probably some synth stuff, but we're going to keep it pretty straightforward. Um, rented a studio, mic'd up a Yamaha C3, C7 is the big one. It's a Yamaha C3, um, piano that the studio in North Dallas had. Um, a little disappointed, honestly, with that rig. It's like this really big studio with a giant SSL desk in the A room. It came with an engineer, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of got in there and it was like, yeah, all we have right now is a set of 414s on the piano. And it's like, I don't know. Your mic locker on the website had all this crazy stuff. And there was a set of KM184s I'd like to use, but they were, I don't know one of them was broken so you couldn't use a stereo pair so we had i don't know it was just like this really amazing panel really big room cool space giant ssl and i was like oh here's a, a set of 414s like guitar center they're not cheap mics don't get me wrong they're a thousand dollars a piece or like 1500 a piece or whatever like they're kind of expensive but in that in that world in that scene where you're like big rooms like that piano was probably 80 grand that ssl desk was probably 400 grand you know like everything you kind of get into that world and the set of mics I can get on Sweetwater, that's what you got, you know, like, come on, I was, but the piano player, Oscar Gamboa, shout out, crushed, dude is a monster, he plays upper room, well, doesn't play at upper room, he is the upper room guy, um, it was awesome, but then decided we want to maybe experiment with having an upright feel, like a felt piano, and so I have my Yamaha U1, had it fixed up, and we did, yeah, four mics on it, a stereo pair of, of pencils, a mono coals, all three up, of those up top, and then down below on the soundboard uh, on the bottom, which I opened up, a U87. Um, going into the TG, coals and pencils were going in the, I went the UAD uh, 1073 emulation. Uh-oh, shoot me. Uh, but that, that, turned out those takes turned out like amazing uh hired a 15 piece chamber um chamber orchestra thing pop thing uh it was and there are a bunch of players from the la sim sim la philharmonic i don't know why i said something sim, sim symphony it's the la philharmonic symphony i think that's the term irregardless a bunch of players from that um a guy named john arndt who is an amazing composer arranger did a, he's done all of this he's in the the band the brilliance did all the strings for a lot of the gunger records um amazing arranger he we hired him he arranged the string parts and then brought that that crew in and we took the back half of a day session that he, they, he was already doing with them for something else and so um wrote and cut these strings string parts are yeah it's all it's a real like 
sounds like a movie. It's got, this stuff is pro. He sent me the pro tool session back and it's, I kid you not, probably 75 layers, 75 tracks of strings. They did multiple takes on certain things, but then certain takes have different, you know, ver versions of stuff. And, you know, one of them has just the violas in it or whatever. It's like super cool. Uh, so I'm going through all that, got that. It's like the, those string, that string arrangement with, with, the probably the upright piano take. And then Ari is this killer is coming in to sing it this weekend. She flies in on Thursday and we're cutting vocals on either Friday or Saturday. Um, that one's going to be awesome. Really stoked on that one. And then also this Sunday, we're cutting another song live on stage. And that's what I was kind of talking to the Miami guys about, like how to go, go about that. Uh, how do you slate the drums and the crowd mics? I, I learned this from uh, buddy a AJ Mather. Shout out AJ if you're listening. Phoenix um, with CCV Music. Um, edit the drum mics and the crowd mics together. Major, major big brain play right there. So I pass that on. But it makes sense because you're, you're, the transients on your um, crowd mics are all obviously coming from the drums. Also, when you cut that song you want to cut, uh, make sure the vocals are quiet in the house mix so you don't have those vocals that are potentially untuned. We, we tune our vocals live, but uh, you don't want to have those in the overhead mics. Yeah, so we're going through some of that stuff. Um, but point being, all the way back, it was great chatting with Miami folks. You guys are awesome. Well, um, looks like my timer's about to go off. That's that. I, I don't I don't know what to, to call this episode. Probably something about trains. I don't know. Uh, but that's that. Uh, my kid plays drums. He's awesome. Marriage is amazing. Been doing it for 17 years. Would recommend... But if I became a widow, I would not do it again because I want to not uh, try. Oh, gosh, I don't actually don't know. How am I going to wrap that up? Um, you'll figure it out. Godspeed. Love you. It's been 30 minutes. Bye. Bye.